0: Amen. If I was to ask you, what is the most important city talked about in the Bible? What would you say? Jerusalem, right? That's where the temple was built. That was the heart and center of the worship life of of um, that time. And, and so this Day, it's such an important city. It was there where Jesus was dedicated as a child. It was there where... He was put on trial later in his life. It was there, just outside those the city walls, where he was put to death on a cross. He rose there. The early church was founded there, and from there spread out to the entire world. But yet, at the time of Nehemiah, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls had been ripped down. The city, to a great extent, was just a heap of rubble and ashes. And what happened was, During that time, the king of Assyria started to let some of the Jewish people go back to Jerusalem. They're working on building the temple. The problem was, the walls were destroyed. And a city without walls in that day and age had no protection. And so God raised up somebody by the name of Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. And God put a holy discontent on his heart. And I want to do a review of what we've covered the last two weeks, which leads up to this week. And so with the holy discontent, what he began to do was he began to pray. Alyssa's going to come up here pretty soon to kind of see these things. And so what Nehemiah did was he prayed. In fact, if you want to see an incredible prayer, take a look at Nehemiah chapter 1. In Nehemiah chapter 1, you know, Nehemiah just pours his heart out to God, and not just praying for himself, but for the people, and and we see that. You know He's got this holy discontent, and so often the temptation might be, well, someone else will take care of this. But no, he realized God wanted him to do it. And so the second step he did was he got others involved with his vision, with his concern. In particular here, the king of Persia, the most powerful person in the world at that time. And he goes to him as a cupbearer and, and a trusted servant of him and says, King, I need you to give me permission to go to Jerusalem. And amazingly, the king says, I grant you that permission. And you'll think that Nehemiah would stop there, but he says, I I have a couple more favors to ask. What's interesting, when you look at the section, as Nehemiah is talking to the king, he's praying at the same time in his mind to God. It's kind of an interesting way, if he's just a person of prayer. I'm not sure if you've ever done that, where you're talking to someone, you're praying to God to give you the right words to say while you're talking to that person. And he says, Nehemiah says, okay, I also need... Some papers to give me permission to travel through the provinces to get to Jerusalem because those provinces could block his passage. But since the king of Persia controlled those provinces, um, Nehemiah needed that, that permission. And so the king gave him that permission, gave him those papers. King, I got one more favor. I need the supplies necessary to rebuild the walls, I need all the timber. And guess what? The king said, sure, I'll grant you that. And so Nehemiah, he begins the journey. He gets to work. He gets to Jerusalem, surveys the city walls, sees a damage, a rubble all over. He pulls together the leaders, and he begins to organize them. And then have the leaders organize all the people of Jerusalem. And by at that time, not a whole lot of people. They organize them, each family taking on a certain part of the city walls. And everything's moving along really well. But when things go really well, usually what's going to happen? Problems, right? Opposition. And that's what takes place. The surrounding nations are getting all concerned. They don't want Jerusalem to become a powerful city once again. And so they begin to mock the people of Israel and say, you can never build a city out of that heap of rubble. But the work goes on. They get more concerned as the walls start going up, and they threaten to invade the city. And so Nehemiah organizes the people. Some are holding spears ready for defending the city. Others continue the work of the city walls. The people are getting discouraged. At one point, the people go to Nehemiah and say, you know what? The rubble's too high. We can't get this job done. And, you know, the surrounding nations are threatening us. We can't do this. What does Nehemiah do? He deals with the opposition. He doesn't give up. He keeps praying to God. He goes with people and says, you know what? With God, we can do anything. It's persistent, dedicated leadership caused the people to keep working. That leads up to the section for today. The work had been going on, but another problem arises. This time, not from the surrounding nations. The problem is from within the people themselves. Some of the leaders of Jerusalem are using their power to kind of skim off of the people that were poor, those that didn't have a lot of property or wealth, charging them huge interest rates as far as borrowing, also taxing them more than they should, and taking a lot of food supplies for themselves. And they go to Nehemiah and say, this is not fair, what can we do? And so Nehemiah pulls these leaders together and says, what you're doing is wrong. You can't do this. He forces them, you know, to change their ways and to not fleece the people the way that they were. In addition, because there was a shortage of food, Nehemiah, as a governor, was allowed a very large portion. But he led by example. And that's what leaders do. And what he did was he said, you know what? I'm going to take all this extra that I have and I'm going to let other people have it. And basically what he does, he calms everybody down and allows them to get back to the work at hand. And they work with their hearts and their souls, and something incredible happens. The task is finished in 52 days. Two and a half miles of city walls, 40 feet high, 8 feet thick. is completed in 52 days. And when that happens, the enemy is... They're completely, they, they lose hope. They can't believe it. In fact, it says that their self-esteem took a hit because they realized the God of Israel was more powerful than the gods that they had believed in. They realized the hand of God allowed for that work to be done. The aftermath of this, the worship life of Israel is restored. Eventually, the temple was completed. Jerusalem becomes a great and powerful city once again. Once again. Imagine if Nehemiah hadn't acted. Imagine if the city of Jerusalem remained a heap of rubble. That would have impacted Jesus' ministry later. God used one man to allow for the history to go forward in his plan. That man was Nehemiah. And what do we learn about this for today? What's you know for us to gain from this? And I really thought about this and You know, Nehemiah did a lot of the very things that Jesus did in his ministry. When you think about what Jesus did, you know, in his early ministry, we see quite often throughout his ministry, he prayed. You know, he had a holy discontent in his heart. His heart was seeing a people like us lost in sin, a people that didn't have the ability to earn their way to heaven. His love for us is constant and continuous. He wants us to be with him forever, but we can't attain that for ourselves. And so Jesus came upon to this world. He often prayed. He organized a ragtag team of individuals, began to share his vision, his mission with them. In addition to that, he got them started in this whole process. The process was helping these individuals to learn about the kingdom of God. The next step was he organized the people. He organized not just the 12 disciples, but ultimately he organized the 72 others, and as others were part of his mission in ministry. And he, as he studied the Gospels, what you realize is things were way more organized than we could ever imagine. Do you realize before Jesus ever went into any town or village, people went there before to prepare the way for them. He organized them. He dealt with opposition continuously. The sad thing was the opposition came from the church at that time, the church that was supposed to be representing God, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, but yet they turned against Jesus time and time again. In fact, their desire was to have him killed, eventually to succeed with that very plan. But Jesus never gave up. He kept pushing on. And what we see with him is he's been the ultimate example. He led by example he shows us how to live not just our savior who opens up the way to heaven for us but if you want to learn what it means to to live the right kind of life to be reshaped in the image of god the key is to study the life of jesus his life is a perfect example and he finished a task i want you to think about what he did now he went into jerusalem on that first palm sunday and people are shouting their hosannas but yet Pretty soon he would be shouting, crucify him. And he was put on a cross, just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And there he died the most painful, agonizing death that mankind has ever known in crucifixion. And while he's dying, he says some very important words. His words were, it is what? Finished. It's finished. When does our task, when, when do we finish things? At that point where we breathe our last breath. And he gave everything for us in that cross. But then he would rise again. And because of what Jesus did, we have the ultimate gap standard. Because between earth and heaven is a void, a chasm that we cannot cross ourselves. None of us can earn our way to heaven. But when Jesus gave His life on that cross, when he rose again, he becomes that bridge. He becomes that avenue that leads us one day from this planet to heaven. He stood in the gap. And we're going to live forever because of him. You know, things in this life, they come and go. But what Jesus gives to us lasts forever. And he prepared those early followers of him to share this message. And the early church began there in Jerusalem. And it started with a small group. In a very short time, it grew to almost 20,000 people following some of these same points. They prayed, they got others involved. They got to work. They organized the people. They dealt with opposition. They never gave up. They led by example. And they finished a task. Many of them dying for their faith. And here we are today. What is God calling us to do? You see, we are his church. We are the people of God. And what we do is very important. And God has a special calling for each one of us to stand the gap. On Thursday, my. Um, was part of a concert that Randy did, and, and we've been working on music for over 20 years. And, and in, this, in this concert, I was thinking about how God has worked um, through Randy's life. And I remember 20 years ago when I first met him after he got out of jail for the second time, and, and we had music groups, and he wanted to get involved in a music group, and I'm thinking, which music group is going to take, because they, they met in their homes, who's going to take a two-time felon in their home? And the guy that um, actually stepped up at the time was in charge of the whole court system of Phoenix and um, probably a pretty safe guy to oversee Randy. And Randy and him are like best friends this day. And I've seen how God turns someone like Randy around and and in the sanctuary on Thursday there was about 250 addicts that were there praising God. And I realized how over the years that God has used Randy to lead hundreds of people not just to sobriety, but the faith in jesus christ and i stood in the gap for him 20 years ago but he stood in the gap for me time and again and just five years ago suddenly met my nephew nick my sister sent him here for iowa he was a meth addict his life was spiraling downhill he went through randy's program and through that program he found sobriety he found jesus he got married over a year ago had his first baby a couple months ago my sister told me she goes you know what john There's only one thing in your life that really matters to me is that you sent my son to Randy. And it's just so fun to see how God has, you know, reunited that whole family and how God works when people stand in the gap. And I know that God has a calling for each one of us. And as we rise up to that calling, it's amazing what begins to happen. What we're doing here, what we're about as a church, I think sometimes we take it for granted. This is so important. You know, I I got a holy discontent in my heart. Our country is turning away from God. Our younger generations are becoming more worldly. I believe in what we're doing. I believe in the mission and ministry of our church, and I believe in our schools. Because that's a breeding ground to allow for these kids to grow in the love of Jesus Christ, one of our missions. And I want to tell you about a mission that our school kids did this last, about a week ago. And they had their own Stand the Gap campaign thing, and what they did was they had what was called Penny Wars. And each classroom had a five-gallon water container, and they were to put pennies in, and the, the class with the most pennies at the end um, would win, but there's another cash to this. The other classrooms could sabotage the other people's things by putting in quarters, dimes, nickels, and dollars and canceling out their pennies. And so a major battle ensued between these classrooms. And I want to share with you the results. They collected 134,655 pennies. Can you imagine a poor person had to carry those pennies to the bank? That that would have been quite a workout. They raised over $2,500. That money is not going to Shepherd the Desert. It's going to Pilgrim Lutheran Church and School in Houston, a school and church that was flooded after the last hurricane. That's how they're standing in the gap. And I'm so proud of our church that even you know, last June you know, 3rd, we had a congregational meeting, and because of the um, decreased enrollment, we had a deficit budget of 200000 and you as a congregation agreed to stand up and, and to go for that budget. We haven't cut back on any of our mission work at all. You know, most churches have schools, they consider that their mission, and they don't do anything beyond that. Our schools are important, but I want to share with you some of the things that are going on in other places here and around the world that we're doing. One is um, Feed My Starving Children. Over the years, with the packing events we've had here, and also our involvement in the the main packing center, we have put together about one million meals. That's enough to feed 2,700 children for an entire year. 2,700 children probably would have died of starvation or alive because of what God has done through you. We are supporting missionaries in Burundi, Garuna, and the Asia Pacific. We support our district and our synod with a very sizable gift every year, which is used for mission work around the world in in the United States. We have a food pantry which feeds hundreds of people every year. Thanksgiving baskets, we're just finishing up doing that. Fifty families are going to have a full Thanksgiving meal this Thanksgiving that wouldn't have had one otherwise. Our work with New City Phoenix, a local uh, mission in the Phoenix area. We do a lot of work through them. Just recently, we, we painted houses. That's just the beginning of what God is doing through you. And I thank God for what he's doing through you. But I believe that God has even greater plans for us. And for those of you that are um, a part of Shepherd of the Desert, if you are a member, you received a mailing this last week. You've been asked to, to respond to this challenge. And we encourage you to bring your commitment forms today um, with you to, um, to worship. If you did, great. If not, there are some in front of you. In fact, I want to encourage you to look at them. If you're a guest, I want to make something clear. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to be a part of this. We're glad you're here. We want to make something clear. We don't talk about this very often. Maybe once a year, this topic is brought up like this. But if you are a member, or if you want to take a look at that card, there's some in front of you. And I want to explain um, what we're trying to do. You see, what happened was, one of our members, one of our leaders has stood up. And he has given a gift, which will cover the deficit for this entire year. But his his challenge to us is this. Match what he's given. Okay? And so our goal is to raise at least a quarter million dollars to match the gift that he wants to provide, is pro- providing to us. And so we want to encourage you to, to help with that, but it's above and beyond normal giving. And there's two ways you can give. One way is, is through an end-of-the-year gift before the end of this calendar year. Another way is by making a commitment over from now until June 30th. You can do one or you can do both. The last part of the commitment form talks about an encouragement to each one of us to be faithful in our lives of worship, Bible study, serving and giving and so i want to encourage you right now to just take a little bit of time to to pray and i want you to pray for our overall mission and ministry i believe that god has great things ahead of us i'm seeing a momentum begin to come up from within some might wonder okay so we had this deficit how do we know that's not going to continue on we have a principle right now that i believe is the best principle in the country one of the best in the whole country he's off to a great start. We have a business manager and Andrew Armstrong who's handling now the business in a much better way than I ever could, let me tell you. That's not my skill. But now we have someone doing that part of our ministry in fantastic ways. And we're seeing more leaders come up in various ways. But my calling and God's calling to each one of us, God's a calling for me, he's got a calling for you. Whatever that calling is, to be obedient to it. Whatever that holy discontent is, he puts that in your heart, take those same steps that Nehemiah took because individually we will come together collectively and do even greater things. So take some time right now to to work on those forms to pray and we'll have the offering a little bit. If you fill out one of those forms today, you can place that in the offering plate in a few moments.
1: Stay. supply
0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in a few short moments, we're going to go forth in your grace alone. Because you came and stood in the gap for us, we have deliverance over sin, Satan, and death. We have futures that are incredible. But many people in this world, they don't know about your grace. And I pray that our mission and our ministry of our church and our schools will grow even more to reach more people with your love that each one of us is open to the calling that you have for us to lead people to follow you, Lord Jesus, in greater ways than ever before. We pray this in your name. Amen. This time the offering will be received, and um, if you filled out one of the commitment forms, you can place that in the offering as well.